And as schools started, you know, I think most of the schools have started up this past week. And as students head back into the classroom, there'll be talks about how we learn and what are the best ways to learn. Um, some of us in the room, we're, we're primarily visual learners. You know, you guys can pick up a book and read something and then tell me what you read. I actually fall into this category um, the most. You learn by, by just looking at things, observing, seeing things spelled out, reading the manual. You get it. Some of you are auditory learners. You learn um, by just hearing someone explain something. Uh, you know, as someone with a little bit of hearing loss, I am not primarily that way. Um, but some of you are. And then lastly, some of you learn by doing. And all of us, in one way, we all learn by all three of these ways. We just have different strengths. But someone could give you a book or someone could give you, tell you all about how to do something. And then you'd be like, well, I just actually need to put my hands on it and I will figure it out. We all learn uh, through all of these ways. You can... But there's in one sense, you have to learn by doing certain things. Like you can learn theoretically how to build a house. Like some, everyone could give you the, the blueprint. You could read it. You could have someone tell you all about how it's going to go. But it's not till really you get to the job site and you start seeing how things fit together and interact with different um, contractors and laborers. Do you really understand how to build a house? My son, Gavin... He is in uh, to, to baseball right now. That's his thing. Um, so he was watching it on TV. He sees these guys swinging a bat and hitting, hitting a ball. And he's four. And he wants to be able to swing the bat and hit the ball with no T2. And I can tell him how to stand, how to load, how to swing. And he could theoretically understand that. But you don't really learn how to hit a baseball until you step into the batter's box and swing a bat. Same can be said of riding a bike. You can explain. You just pump the pedals and keep, watch where you're going, and you'll eventually balance yourself out. But it takes a little bit to learn how to ride the bike. You have to do it. Well, today, we're going to talk about prayer because we're entering a passage where Jesus brings up prayer in we're going to learn how to pray from Jesus himself. We're going to see what he says when someone asks how to pray. We're going to see how he instructs them. So would you turn in your Bible to Luke 11, and we'll start right at the beginning of the chapter. This is God's word. He, that is Jesus, was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. 
Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't give up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't give, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we are needy people. We sang it, we need you, oh, we need you every hour, we need you. So Jesus, we come to you today looking for you to feed us from your word, and would you do just that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Passage starts out, and the disciples, they've seen Jesus praying. It It says that he was praying in a certain place, and he finished up, and the disciples saw him praying, and I think it's interesting to note that Jesus had a sort of enviable prayer life. He has one he has the prayer life of that that person you know that seems to have like a really good connection with God, right? And uh Jesus has a prayer life that others see. It is a regular part of his life. He communed often and regularly with his heavenly Father. Judaic practice at the time of Jesus would have been also just instilled into him. It was customary at the time of Jesus to have regular, routine, ritual prayers to pray. Prayers before meals, like we do now. Prayers at certain times of the day. There was a natural rhythm and cadence to prayer at the time of Jesus. And Jesus would have adopted these ways of praying too. But still, when the disciples heard Jesus pray... They wanted to pray like him. There was something different about it. And so they ask, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They just come out and ask. And I'm so grateful they did because what we have now is what Jesus says to pray like. Now, I don't know about you, but prayer is one of those disciplines that can be really really difficult for me. I am, by nature, a guy who likes task lists and getting things done, goals and details, and those things have a way of just crowding into my mind when I begin to pray. Anyone else experience this? You like bow your head, and you can think of everything else that you need to do other than pray at that moment, right? Like you're just, your mind is like, oh, I have to do that. Oh, you think of the things you forgot to do from yesterday. Now you really feel behind. Prayer can be really difficult. I can feel sloppy, not put together. Maybe the disciples felt this way too. I don't know. But they asked Jesus, Lord, could you tell us how to do this? And I love the answer of Jesus is not condemnation. Right? Because 
There would have been all of this stuff built into their culture and into their religious practice for how to pray. And Jesus just doesn't say, you don't know by now. You've been growing up. You should know how to pray by now. That's not Jesus. So Jesus instead begins to answer their question and instructs them on how to pray. And if you're new to the faith this morning and maybe barely have a prayer life, this is for you. If you're like me sometimes and you feel distracted in your prayer life, what Jesus says, this is for you. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I think what he has to say is for you as well. And the disciples, interesting enough, and they're asking about Jesus. And they're asking Jesus, sorry, to teach him them to pray. They begin to assume the posture of Mary. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look to the passage right before this one, you see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he said in such a way that they hoped it shaped in such a way that it shaped the way she was to live. Well, now the disciples have gotten the message, and now they're functionally sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, teach me how to walk in your way of prayer. So let's let Jesus recalibrate our prayer life this morning. So Jesus starts, and he says, well, when you pray, when you pray, like when you get started, like from the outset, he says, Pray, Father, that when you pray, that when you pray, that when I pray, we should address God as Father. And the first thing we need to know is that a Father relates. We need to see that Jesus tells them, gives them the relationship they have with their God. That their relationship is going to be one of a father to a child. Not to a distant deity over there, but to, but to a father who is close and knows his children. This is where Jesus starts. He starts with, hey, when you pray to God, when you pray to the ruler of the world, you pray to your father. It's a relationship. This is where it starts. Many of the prayers that they would have had at the time would have been prayers that started like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. These big, like who they're talking to prayers. But when Jesus says to pray, he says, you get to address that God, not as some God way off over there, but a God really near and close. He is your Father. You get to relate to him as such. But the other thing that we need to remember is that when Jesus says Father, there's also a lot more loaded into that term than just relationship. Sure, it is relationship, but in the time of Jesus, um, a father would have been like, He would have been the guy that called the shots for everyone else in his household. It was a patriarchal society at that time. And so a father would have instructed everyone in his household what to do and how to live and where they were to go. A father oversaw things. He would have set the direction. 
And so when Jesus comes to us and said, when you address God, you say, Father, beautiful, we relate to him. He is God, but we get to relate to him as a child. But he is also our father. So he gets to tell us what to do and how to live. And he gets to guide our lives. That when we come to him in prayer, it's not about us. It's about him and letting him says, set the direction. So Jesus goes on. And we won't spend a lot of time on each of these points because that's a whole other sermon. We have a lot more text to cover. So he goes on to say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. So we call out to God as our Father, the one who knows us, who loves us, but then remember who he is. And he is holy. He is set apart. And so we pray for his kingdom. We want his rule. So prayer isn't about just our agenda. It's about God's agenda for the world. It's about his kingdom. Well, that feels out there. Well, let's remember that we've looked at Jesus and the arrival of the kingdom in Jesus. And when he comes, his kingdom comes with good news, with liberating captives, giving sight to the blind, binding up the brokenhearted. This is what it means for the kingdom of God to come. That's why we pray it. God, would you come? Would you set things right? We want his agenda for the world because his agenda is better than ours. You see, we are called to pray humbly. We are called to pray humbly. We relate to God as Father. We want his plans, not just our plans. So the prayer goes to addressing God. Address God as Father. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. And then it shifts. And it shifts. And then the prayer invites us to see ourselves correctly. We see God correctly. Now we see ourselves correctly. And that is as needy. We pray for daily bread. God, we need you to sustain us. We pray for God's forgiveness because we recognize that we need it even as we extend that same forgiveness. Because only needy people, only people who know their need of forgiveness can extend forgiveness. And then we pray that God wouldn't lead us into temptation. And the question is, well, does God lead us into temptation? And the answer is no. Not in that way. But what the text is trying to show is that we are weak people who, when we face temptation, so often we fail. And the Bible is honest about that. So it invites us to see God correctly as Father, who has a kingdom, who is holy, and invites us to see ourselves correctly as people in need of forgiveness, in need of daily sustenance, of realizing that we can't sustain ourselves. We can't sustain ourselves physically. We can't sustain ourselves spiritually without Him. We need Him. We are weak. So we pray humbly. But then... We're also invited to pray boldly. Jesus goes on and gives, he gives them this, the prayer to pray. And now he moves on to a little parable about a man who gets visited by someone in the middle of the night. 
Now, understand, it was not completely uncommon at the time of this writing for someone to arrive at your house in the middle of the night and for you, for you to be expected to provide hospitality. It was the cooler part of the day. But the problem is a guy shows up at somebody's house in the middle of the night, and that guy has no food. So he goes to his neighbor's house, and when he's there, he, he calls out to him in the middle of mid, at midnight and, and asks for bread. And this guy's like, quiet. It's the middle of the night. And they would have lived in like a really small, probably a one-room house. And the guy's like, well, if I open my door, if I unlock my door, it's going to wake my kids. But the guy persists. He has shameless boldness. But Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. There's a guy outside calling out for bread, and he's just going to give it to him to make it stop. It's kind of a hard parable to translate into modern day because we don't like people arriving at our house. Like Amazon's allowed to come until 9, right? But let me like change it a little bit. So as most of you know, Elliot and his wife Olivia are pregnant. And I want you to imagine... Elliot's one of our pastors here, if you don't know him. I want you to imagine that Elliot is my neighbor. And so I go to bed one night, and I go to bed kind of early. I go to bed at like 9, 9.30 every day. And I'm going to sleep, and then I just, I can, like I'm sleeping, but I can hear my phone vibrating on my nightstand constantly. I'm like, what the heck? And I like pick it up, and I'm like, what does Elliot want at midnight? And I'm like, I ain't answering that. I put it down. And then, and then all of a sudden I hear like pounding on my door. And I'm like, he's going to wake up Gavin. The dog's going to bark. I'm going to lose my mind. We never sleep around here. So I run downstairs and Elliot tells me that his car is broke down and his wife is in labor. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Go to some other neighbor. No, I'm kidding. Um, I wouldn't do that. But what do I do in that moment? Well, even if that was not my friend, I would give him my keys because he was bold enough to come to my door in the middle of the night and ask for something that he needed that I had, transportation, right? Get to the nearest hospital. Well, that's what the text is getting at here. You are the person coming to God who has what you need and you can't provide it for yourself. You are like the man who needs to borrow keys to get his wife to the hospital. You are like the man in the parable asking his neighbor for bread in the middle of the night. And Jesus calls us to ask with shameless boldness. Shameless boldness. Because God is our Father, and we are needy people. Jesus told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And now the parable, and now Jesus tells a parable about a guy in need of bread. Because what he wants us to see is that we are people who don't have what we need. We are people that need to to go to our Heavenly Father because He is the one. And this is really hard for us because we live in a culture where we don't like to think, No one, or that we don't have enough. We don't like to think that 
we need anything. We are a self-sufficient culture. But Jesus invites us to not just see ourselves as needy, but to ask God for what we need boldly, without shame, without fear. You can come to him at any time of day in midnight. And the implication of the parable is, is that if, if that guy would give up and give bread to his neighbor, how much more will your good father give you what you need? He will. So we're supposed to ask boldly. And this is an invitation, friends, to get specific with your prayers. You do not need to worry about offending God with what you ask for. Just ask. Ask with shameless boldness. Ever go out to eat with people who won't tell you what they want to eat? Like you have three friends, and, they're, and you say, oh, we should go out to eat. And they're like, what are you going to move for? And friend one goes, I don't care. I'll eat anything. And friend two's like, oh, you choose. It's really frustrating whenever you just want someone to tell you what they're in the mood for. Do you want Chinese food? Like, do you, you want to go get a burger? Just somebody tell me. Have an opinion. Or, or we're just going to keep looking at restaurants all night and never make up our minds. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people? Maybe you're that person. I'm that person. But, but don't be that way with God. You know that there are things that you, you would love it if God came through. You would love it if God came through in the delivered your marriage from the place that it's in. You would, you would love deliverance from the temptation that you're facing. You would, you, would just, you would love it if God would just invade your relationship you have with your kids and change the dynamic of your home. But sometimes what we do is we cloak our prayers in kind of language, afraid that we're going to ask God for the wrong things. And the invitation from Jesus is the, you have a father who knows what you need. Ask him. Ask him. Come with shameless boldness. You can come to him with your fears. You can come to him with your desires, your hurts, your wants. You can come to him with your sin and the things that you feel like you need to confess. Get specific with God. Pray humbly. He is your father and it is about his kingdom. Pray boldly. Call for help. And lastly, pray expectantly. Expect an answer. Jesus goes on to say there in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He tells us. He gives us a prayer. says to ask boldly. And now he tells us to expect an answer. You ever feel skeptical that you'll get one? That maybe sometimes we don't ask God for the things that are on our hearts because we're afraid. We're afraid he might say no. Or we just don't believe he's really going to answer. That my prayers make a difference. Or maybe you've been shouting the same request for a long time and have heard silence from God.
Those times can be hard. I've been there. But Jesus, see, he encourages us to change our frame of mind and to expect an answer. And he asks a couple questions. He says, what father, if a child asks for a fish, would he give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, he'd give him a scorpion. Like dads or, or even moms in the room, if, if, you're, if your son or daughter came up to you and said, you know, daddy, I would really like some chocolate milk. Can I have some chocolate milk? And you'd be like, sure, son. Here's some paint thinner. Like, and hand it to him. You wouldn't do that, would you? No, that's awful. I hope you wouldn't do that. And, and then Jesus says, if you, you who are evil, you who are imperfect, you who struggle with sin, if you wouldn't do that for your kids, your good God, your good Father will not do that to you. Because He is better than you. He is holy. He is different. And here's the thing. God won't hurt you. Saying that God will not harm you. He will protect you. He is with you. Some of us have experience from our faith tradition or our growing up or some legalism in our background where we might enter prayer like a negotiation with God. We might be afraid to ask for things. We might think if we prayed a certain way, God will answer. Or we might feel like God will never answer because we don't pray enough. Or maybe we think we have to pray the right things so that God won't be angry with us. But Jesus says that we have a good Father who knows us. Jesus pushes all that away and says, no, no, no. Your God, your Father, He cares for His children. Some of us struggle with this idea of God as a Father. Because honestly, our earthly dads, they weren't that awesome. They were imperfect. Some of us have had downright awful fathers. So this is hard. But I want you, and I want me, to lean into the words of Jesus. Because here's the thing, crazy thing. Jesus talks about God as Father over 165 times in the Gospels. And in each and every one of those times, he's instructing his disciples on how to relate to God. Isn't that crazy? So Jesus, he mentions God as Father 165 times, and in each time he's trying to teach his disciples something about God and how to relate to him. So that means we can learn how to relate to God as our Father from the words of Jesus. We can learn from Jesus how to relate to God as Father. And what we learn from Jesus is that we have a God who is good. He is so good to us that we can come humbly, expecting and asking for his kingdom. Come boldly, presenting our needs and our requests before him. And come expectantly, expecting that God will answer because he's good. And part of that expecting God to answer... And part of that understanding of his goodness means realizing that sometimes because he's so good will not give you what you ask for. Because he loves you so much, he will not give you what you ask for if what you ask for isn't good for you. 
Puritan Thomas Brooks says this, and I love this. He said, God has a greater interest in me than I have in myself. God has a greater interest in me than I have in myself. God has a greater interest in you than you have in yourself. He loves you and cares about you. God, we've seen in Jesus, is the good neighbor who helps us in our time of need. He sees that we're worried and upset about many things and invites us to not only sit at his feet, but give him what is going on by praying humbly and boldly and expectantly before him. Because he cares for us and he's a good father who cares for you. So when we pray and we feel like we're shouting into the dark, we know that there's still a good God who is over us. And he will be there for us. So then, practically, how can we apply this throughout our weeks? Well, a couple ways. First, I would say is if you're new to prayer, or maybe you're feeling rusty in your prayer life, you know how like when you, when you let your car sit for too long and the rotors get rusty and you hit your brakes for the first time? You're like, um, maybe you feel like that. Um, I would just encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Like you, you have it. Jesus said, disciples ask how to pray. And Jesus is like, well, here's a prayer. If you're feeling a little bit rusty, just pray the Lord's Prayer. It's a perfectly fine thing to pray. Ask God. Let it, let it tune your heart a little bit. Jesus gave it to us, so pray it. Second thing you could do is you could embrace the habit of prayer. See, because prayer is not just about what we get. It's not just about things or answered prayers. It's about who we get. It's about God, and you get God. So I would embrace habits of prayer in your life. What would it look like to add prayer to your life? Embrace specific times of prayer. Maybe you want to stop for like two minutes, morning, midday, and evening, and pray. I don't know what it looks like for you. For me, whose mind constantly is wandering, I, I, take, I often take an early morning walk, and that really helps me pray. Maybe it's your commute in the morning. Maybe it's the bus ride to school. Take some time, pray. Embrace some habits of prayer. Maybe the other thing you could do if you're trying to revive your prayer life is to learn how to play jazz with the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know a whole lot about music, but from what little bit I know, and I've had this explained to me by another pastor, is that like, to play jazz, you have to know the music really well, because jazz is about improvising off of the written music. Does that make sense? So you have to know it really well to be able to improvise in such a way that it doesn't sound like garbage, right? Well, so maybe you just we can just learn to play jazz off the Lord's Prayer. Like, we learn to pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we let those be the categories for how we pray. And we, so when we're praying, we say, Father, and your name is holy, and maybe that leads us to a period of just worshiping God and thanking him for all the good things he's done in your life. And then when you ask for daily bread, maybe you're asking him for the various needs in your life and so on. Pray jazz with the Lord's prayer. Let it be the framework. And then the last thing I would say is to pray with others. If you're feeling rusty in your prayer, pray with other people. Now I know it could feel really weird, especially if you're not in the habit of praying, but if you want to grow in your prayers, Pray with other people. Notice the way that Jesus prays this prayer. Our Father. Our Father. Give us 
this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. It's a communal prayer that we learn to pray. So pray with each other. So Jesus tells us how to pray. To pray humbly, submit yourselves to God's plans. To remember our relationship with him as father. To pray boldly, to, to come with God with shameless boldness. And to pray expectantly, expecting God to act for your good. But here's the thing. Much like riding a bike or hitting a baseball, sometimes you just have to do it to learn how to pray. You just got to step into the batter's box of prayer and start swinging. And eventually over time, you will get it. Jesus concludes the teaching on prayer with the simple statement, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why the Spirit? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but here's what I think. I think we we need the Holy Spirit because we can't really submit to God as Father. We can't really relate to God as Father and ask for His kingdom and ask to be led out of temptation without Him. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity that God literally gives us to help live out the Lord's Prayer. Right? To, to live out the, the revering of God names, to live out the, the relating to Him as Father, to live out the desiring not to be led into temptation, to live out the, the recognizing your needs. That's why He gives us the Spirit. And the second reason, I think, He mentions the Holy Spirit is because in our praying, what God gives us is Himself. That we come to God asking for things and we get something better and that is him. And so friends, church family, I would encourage you to pray. Just do it. Start. Start small. Start somewhere. Swing the bat. Step into the batter's box. And remember that your God is good and he is your father.